On chapter 94 of our podcast, we're going to take you to hog heaven. Or is it hog hell? Julie has more on super pigs. And Canada's life expectancy dropped for the third straight year. Jeff walks us through the possible reasons why and the world rankings. This is Jeff and Julie moved to France during a global pandemic. I don't even know where where we are with this fiber. We, uh, we don't want to spend much time. No, I know. That, it's boring. I know, but... But we, I have a phone call later today. But this is what? Fiber 5.0 now. 5.0. Uh, many phone calls. This, it's just not working for us in terms of getting the Wi-Fi to the out. Here's the thing. I know exactly what to do uh-huh. because I've, you know, spoken with Ian Service uh-huh. and, yep. and Tony Daniels. I know exactly what to do. Yep. But the idiots at Orange don't know what to do. Well, but, yeah. and, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get them to... But you see, I don't even want... Yeah, here's the thing. I, I know you're going to be talking with a tech guy today, and I know you just dread doing this. Well, yeah, because I, I don't know tech, so it, it's like... I, but I don't even want to know his answer because it's gonna it's not gonna jive well, it's gonna be well whatever i got moved up the chain and i'm going to be speaking to someone who has more knowledge oh, so, than so, so, previously no, no let's clarify that they don't have more knowledge they're less of an idiot okay in, in any case uh hopefully the uh, phone call will be fruitful and we'll figure out a way God. to get our uh fiber from uh, from the studio from the studio where we are to now to the main house yes. where we can get reasonable TV at some point yeah and the jeet we'll have more next week on Jeff and Julie move to France stay tuned during a global pandemic because this is just this is going to go on forever I I know exactly what to do and it's either here's the thing it's either going to come out of our pocket or it's going to come out of Orange's pocket but I just don't well. Don't get me going. I mean, they sold us, uh, you know, bill of goods. a bill of goods. It, you know, the, the salesperson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. And it doesn't work for us because of our building. So, so they're. They, I think they have to be held responsible yeah. just to a large degree because they sold us a bill of goods. In any case, let's move on to another topic that's irritating to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the bank card. Your bank card. Can you? So, okay, so can so you? Can you? Uh, the, wh- yeah. where, where we last left you. Yes. You know, like they do on these. Uh, last week last on week. the bank card. Last week on the bank card, um, we had pretty much figured out that uh, it was ready to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I remember telling you that we went there and uh, picked up the card. They said there was going to be no code, but there was a new code. And um, and then he took the card and said, this will work now. So we left. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you were waiting for the actual code to, come to in the arrive mail. in the mail. It you got your code got, in the mail. Got my code in the mail, went to the lumber store. And the code didn't work. 40-minute drive to mm-hmm. the lumber store. And our bank, Credit Agricole, uh, forgot to tell us that you needed to go to the machine first. Yes. To activate the card with the code, you need to withdraw some money from your this is like bank machine. 101. Yeah. Tell the people 101. what they need to do in order to be able to use your, your product and your service. But it's not just France banks. I mean, no, I know. our Canadian banks oh, you know what? largely incredibly incompetent. When I was 10 years old, my dad took me down to the Bank of Montreal in Sutherland, and I signed up with my first bank account um, where I put my allowance money and all that stuff. And I was with the Bank of Montreal my whole life. And now that bank is a disaster. A disaster. Don't go to the Bank of Montreal. It is absolutely now turned into one of the worst 
um, user-friendly banks. How many times you have to talk to 10 people? The people change every week. Yeah, uh, it's just... I mean, and you know, I'm doing business banking, so it, it's not a personal thing. But but I have a different, uh, you know, account associate or whatever they want to call it. Uh, pretty much, they change over every six months. So you're trying to build a relationship to manage your accounts, and and then you know what they do or what they did this time is they send out a mass letter and a mass email about to, something that you've already dealt with. Yeah, to account holders. Even if they've dealt with something, yeah. um, it, so it, it it's just not very logical. I'm sure they got a lot of backlash. You know, when we first opened those those accounts back in uh, late 90, 90s, early 2000s, we were dealing with a person in Oakville, Kathy. Uh, she was just amazing. She used to go down to the Caribbean every year and play her little games yep. at the casinos. And it was, it was personal. And she was, we would just call her up, hi, Jeff, what's, you know. And that was the kind of, that's the Bank of Montreal that I remember. Yeah, but things have changed. You know what, with, with the different software, the different accounts, they're now different people and different rules and regulations and it's it's just become more complex and i think getting a straight answer from one person is, oh. is near to impossible you know what it is it, it it's the massive network of buck passing mm-hmm. that's what it is yeah i'm gonna uh, send it up the chain julie up the chain meaning uh, it's off my plate <laughs> yeah. you know it's like when we had that designer here uh-huh. and, and and the designer for uh, the stuff here refused to put measurements on any of the designs because right. she didn't want to be held responsible for the measurements well right. okay see you later I'm not paying two people to measure. Right. So, you know, like it, it's just it's this kind of stuff. And it's irksome because it's it's everywhere. And, you know, the same here. The guy couldn't even tell us how to validate the card. And here I'm driving 40 minutes and it's embarrassing because I go up. I'm buying some stuff at the lumber store and yeah. the card doesn't work. So yeah. I got to leave it all there. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. All right. Yeah. So uh, last week's show was all about Napoleon. Mm-hmm. And oh, the French don't like the movie. The French don't like the movie, but you know what? It's really funny because Ridley Scott, and I know we have a little bit more on this because I I think you you forgot a couple of really important uh, details about the movie. But, you know, Ridley Scott is great. He's just one of the greatest directors of all time. And he's certainly, you know, along with Scorsese and Spielberg, uh, among the top five living directors right now. And, you know, he, he was asked, you know, apparently the French don't like the movie. And he says... Don't worry about it. The French don't even like themselves. <laughs> but he would have said it with a British accent. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it was such a great comment because it's true. They, I don't know. There's. I, I, know. I think I, I really, ha- having been here now for three years, the French like to complain about stuff. They do like to complain. So so there was an article written recently, and they were saying that Americans are, are, are used to seeing people perform... Uh, a, a role from history without replicating their heritage exactly, exactly. like Charlton Heston playing Moses or, yeah. you know, so, but in France, they're not used to that. So um, it, it was equated, how would the Americans feel if Gérard Depardieu, who is a very well-known French actor, played Abraham Lincoln? Well, I don't know the answer to that, uh, but it's, it's... I don't think America would be very fond of that. Well, maybe not. But, I mean, you know, there have been 
there have been out-of-country people play very prominent roles uh, in the United States, in, in America, and... Well, that's the point. They're accustomed to it. The French aren't. No, so but I all mean, of a sudden, okay, but, but you've I'm, got you've got you know Napoleon sounding like Johnny Cash, and yeah, but Americans are quite used to people like Hugh Laurie and all kinds of other foreign actors coming in and doing American accents, and they don't have any problem with it. Now, I okay, I granted that this is a historical figure. Yes, I get that. Oh, yeah, but I mean, but it, the the point being. The Americans are used to it. The French aren't. Okay. That's why it's not being well received. Okay, but there's more to a film than what a person's accent is. And can we not take all of this in? Yeah, you know, no, but there's I was talking other to... complaints. Like, the film portrayed him as being a, a poor lover. Um, French didn't like that. And well, anyway. The, the, the thing is, though, you know, like, have an appreciation for what goes into making a movie, especially one uh, uh, of this magnitude. Now, let's get to the... The other thing that, that you, you forgot to mention last week and that there are two cuts of this thing. There are two cuts. Uh, the short cut is in theaters right now, but the director's cut, which is over four hours long, will um, appear on Apple TV. Is it Apple? Apple. Yeah. So here's the thing. I'm waiting because I always want to see the director's cut. And sure, you know you know what? It, uh, you, you probably go, okay, that could have been clipped. Oh, that could have been clipped. But... At the heart of it, you're seeing the movie the way the director wanted you to see it. And you know what? We put our, our creativity in the hands of these directors, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the creativity of the movie. Yep. yep. And uh, that, that's what—so I know this is a big departure. But that's why I hated the ending of The Sopranos so much. Uh. Because after investing however many seasons into that show, and I'm, yeah, I know I'll get lots of arguments, but here's my point on the ending of The Sopranos— after investing all that time into that show, now the director's telling me to make up the, my mind as to how the ending goes? No. You tell me how the ending goes. You're the director. You made the thing. That's what you're getting paid for. That's what you're getting paid for. <laughs> I've, I bought into your creativity, and now you're telling me, oh, you gotta, you got to make up your own mind? Yeah, I know. I and know. That bugged me. So, anyway, I, I would just... I haven't seen the movie. Neither one of us have seen the movie. And we won't till it's on TV. We won't till it's on, on Apple. But mm -hmm. just, you know, get, put more to it than the accent of the well, performers. Well, there, there were other things, but let's not get into all of that. Mm -hmm. But really what I want to start talking about is the headlines in the news. Mm -hmm. This week is about Canada and our super pigs. Right. And all of this happened actually like days after we saw a sanglier. Yeah, it was really weird because we're driving along. Now we've only seen, I've only seen two uh, of the wild boars here. That's the sanglier. Uh, but this little bugger ran right out in front of us and had to hit the brakes. And he was just scurrying along, little fella. Yeah, and he still had the stripes on his back. So it makes me think that he was a youngin, um, probably less than 10 months. And they call uh, sangliers less than 10 months squeakers. They do? Even in French? No. <laughs> no. Oh. But wild boars, less than 10 months, are squeakers. And I think that's what he was. And he just ran in front of the vehicle. Didn't and, look. And he was running really fast. Yeah. He was just scurrying across. He just like, he was on a mission. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, they're nocturnal. 
So seeing the mm. sangliers during the daytime is a rare occurrence. Yeah, usually. they used to say raccoons were nocturnal too, but uh, talk to the right. residents of Oakville, Toronto, and they're yeah. all over the place all day long. So Canada is being blamed for an inf- infiltration of these super pigs into North United States, so into the northern states. Okay. But you know what? Pigs were introduced. You know what? Trump should have had Canada build a wall and have Canada pay for it. That's, oh God. But, you know, the the domestic pig, right, uh, was introduced back in, in you know, the 1500s. Um, and uh, it was a Spanish explorer who brought 13 pigs with him to feed his crew and the people that, was, that were working with him. And they in short stead, multiplied to 700. You, you mean there were no pigs in Canada then, they're before not, that? They're not native to Canada or the U.S. And, and this Spanish explorer brought, brought, it, uh, brought these pigs to southern uh, United States, so Florida, mm. and, and went across 13, I mean, they weren't states back then, but what is now 13 states. And the pigs started multiplying. And that's one of the things about pigs is that they're, they're very fertile. And so the, the, the common pig was uh, brought in at that time. Um, they also say that um, Christopher Columbus brought pigs from um, the Canary Islands, but to other islands surrounding the U.S., not the continental U.S., so mm. Jamaica and Cuba and those islands. So they had bacon cheddar burgers before we did? Uh, probably. Okay. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the problem is that right now in the southern United States, they have the same problem as we have in Canada, but they've had it earlier. It was onset earlier. Um, so right at this moment, there are six million wild boars in the southern United States, and they cause up to like $2 billion in damages. Okay, if they're in the southern United States, uh-huh. what is the United States blaming Canada? Because they're oh. not in the northern United States. So, um, you know, recently um, I, I heard about uh, Ted Nugent, who appeared on a television so- show oh. in the States. He's all kinds of crazy, that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm not very familiar with him or his He's a yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, but, he's a nut. He's a well, you, you know, he's an avid hunter. He's just a big supporter of the NRA. Uh, but uh, I don't hold it against him that he's a hunter. I mean, he hunts with bows and arrows, crossbows, guns, all kinds of things. But he does get a little uh, amped up about the political stuff. So you know, because Canada super pigs are making the headlines, he was saying that you know they, they should deal. Canada should deal with it like they do in Texas, which is where I gather he's from where they have a a billion-dollar industry, which is helicopter hunting. So this is with with heavy artillery, and you can, you know, shoot as many uh, uh, of them as you you want because in Texas there are no rules and there are no regulations. You can hunt without a permit as long as you're hunting on private land. So... Farmers who've got large acreages are allowing these helicopter companies to take, you know, tourists. And they and, just leave the carcasses? Well, Ted Nugent donates them to food banks. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, uh, they, they, you know, for a, a quite a hefty fee, will allow people to hunt these, these uh, pigs 
hogs down. They even do it at night with what, what do you call those things with vision, night vision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they it's, charge it's more. All, they yeah. charge more. Of course. Um, but two of the companies that I found that had really cute names were um, Hella Bacon <laughs> <laughs> and, and Pork Chopper. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. So these, they, they hunt on private land. Okay. Uh, and uh, there are very few restrictions. And and they're eradicating possibly a big problem, but. It, we, but they need to shoot uh, or need to get rid of quite a bit of them to get, because. To make a dent? To make a dent, because they reproduce. The, the problem is that some of these have mated with the normal uh, domestic pig. Oh, so is that where you're getting this super pig from? You're getting a super pig because it's a hybrid. And they they can have two the sows can have two litters a year. How many in a litter? Up to I think 8. Oh boy. Right? Yeah. And the the, the hybrids be- become fertile I think at 6 months old. So you need to be on a really uh oh. Yeah, it, it, and, uh, the numbers uh, don't work to eradicate them. How do these super pigs live like in Canada in the, in the cold? They are remarkably adaptable. Um, there's this this um, fella at the University of Saskatchewan, and he has been doing uh, some amazing work. His name is Ryan Brook at the University of Saskatchewan. He's heading the Wild Pig Research Project. And they live in extreme cold and they can dig two meters down because they've got these tusks, right? These or these oh, little. Yeah. They can dig two meters down under the snow, and they line the bottom with cattails. Do you know what those are? Yeah, they're yeah the the cattails. Uh, very. Uh, they're in all the kind of swamps and stuff in Saskatchewan, and they're the 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 head of the cattail is almost like. Uh, you know the stuff that you fill pillows with. That's what it feels like. Right. So yeah. they line they, they with their tusks. They line the bottom of this, what they call a piglu. <laughs> oh jeez, where are you getting all this? <laughs> and and they they that's where they huddle together. They all like to sleep together, so they have their own body's warmth. And uh, th- this researcher was saying that in in the morning, when it's even like minus thirty, if they're flying their helicopter over, they can see steam mm. rising from from these pigloos. Um, because there's so much warmth under, underneath the snow. So they've learned to adapt and to survive. And, you know, I, I think it's it's going to be a very difficult situation for both the U.S. and Canada. What does this guy from the University of Saskatchewan have to say about, you know, eradicating the problem or slowing yeah, well, he it said down? That's, he said that's over. Like, a, yeah. Um, he, he, they've got some systems called the Judas Pig where they put a GPS on one of the yeah. um, the hogs, hopefully it will find a group of hogs. But you have to, uh, unfortunately, you have to kill all of them because they're so smart that they'll learn how to avoid uh, potential issues. So they're they're <sighs> they're you know I think they're going to be because uh, they're they're hurting crops, right? Oh, not just crops. They're they're diggers. So they've ruined cemeteries. They've ruined farmers' fields. Um, they've, they, they're, they're eradicating a lot of the nesting birds, the mm. ones that have their, their nests, uh, on the ground. Um, like meadowlarks. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're, they're omnivores. They eat whatever they can and they're massive. Like they have to eat a lot. Like some get up to like 600 pounds. Well, we saw one here in France. 
That guy must have been three, four hundred pounds if he was a pound. That he, was a big one. He, he was big. He was very big. Yeah. So, you know, in, in France, the sanglier has the, it's the same problem. Although, although they have organized hunts here, uh, there's still a, a, a problem of pl- proliferation. Mm-hmm. There are m- way too many sangliers. And I didn't really understand this, but in, in France, like in the U.S. and Canada, um, they used the wild boar. They brought them in and, and, and started feeding them so that they could hunt them. They, be, you know, they started fostering mm-hmm. the, the, the sport of hunting. In France, hunting is the third most, most popular sport. Really? Like Behind, so, yeah. soccer, yeah. don't tell me, and, okay. rugby, and rugby. Nope. What? Nope. I thought rugby was huge here. Mm. Okay, so soccer, really, not rugby. Mm-mm. Wow, I I wouldn't even know. Wow, what? Fishing. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Well, we do see lots of th- folks on the river. Yeah, yeah. So they say that there's probably between a million and two million sangliers here in France. And one of the interesting things that they try and do here is to limit the population by extending the sanglier hunt season mm-hmm. for twelve months. It's it's round the round the clock. Yes, and we were walking by um, I think last weekend. And we saw uh, an organized hunt. So they have to put up a sign that says, you know, hunt in progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be wearing their regulation uh, fluorescent orange jackets. Mm-hmm. They have to have a license. And this license, can you, you can only hunt in the commune where you obtained your oh, license. Oh, okay, okay. And this, this process of many hunters working together... To, um, to to hunt the sanglier is called une battue, and um, loosely translated, it's a, it's a beating, and it's. <laughs> yeah, we're going out in a beating later on there, Jed. You want to come along? Well, so what they do is they beat bushes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and they beat trees, and they try to get them out of their little. And they send dogs nesting, right, and get them to go towards. Where the hunters are, are, yeah. are stationed. Never seen it work. Not one time. Yeah. We see these all the time and they just stand around all day, smoke. And then and then after, uh, like at lunch, the, <laughs> there, there's no way they take it into the afternoon because they're tired. And then we'll we'll drive by somebody's house and there's all these orange jackets and it's a barbecue and everyone's but it, drinking. It's but it just... is social. You know what? It's not, it's not an, an aristocratic kind of sport it's not that expensive so people take advantage of you know meeting up with their friends and Mm. and having a collective time on the weekend and you know um so hunting is is a a, one of the ways that they're trying to deal with the problem i think 850,000 were bagged last year uh sanglier Sanglier. i wonder how many they kill in texas it's funny you know you were uh when you mentioned that you were uh reading up about um uh, Ted Nugent today. I, was, I thought, okay, what? I gotta, I gotta find out about a little bit more on Texas because it was my understanding that like everybody has multiple guns and it's the number one. Do you know that in terms of registered firearms, Texas is only twenty seventh in the United States. 27th out of 50 states. Come on. I'm telling you. I would have I was, placed it at number one. I would have placed it at number one, too. But legal gun ownership, 47% of Texans, 47% of Texans own a firearm. And now here's the, here's where it gets shady, because 
Uh, we're talking about registered firearms. You know, there there's a lot of uh, speculation that there are non-registered firearms by the millions in Texas, but they rank 27th. Guess what the number one state for registered firearm gun ownership is in the United States? Florida. Not even close. Not even in the top. I, I think Florida finished after Texas. Hmm. Uh, New York. No. I don't know. Montana. Six, almost 70% of people in Montana, 66% of people in Montana have guns. Well, uh, so is it a more hunting rich yeah. Yeah. state? Exactly. But, you know, uh, there's also uh, an interesting thing. Around 4.5 million Texans own at least one firearm, but uh, 1.4 million Texans own five or more. So it, it, it's like mm. there's, a, there's a lot of guns. They estimate that there are 10 million firearms in Texas alone. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. wow but wow, wow. you know what? It's, it's, it's what it is, and it's a— uh, whether you're on the side of the guns or not, it's it's epidemic in the states. Epidemic. Yes. Well, in in France, getting back to France, there are like over a million um, hunters that are certified to carry arms mm-hmm. in order to hunt, uh, and um, these permit fees go to paying farmers, believe it or not, um, if the sanglier creates any damage to their field. So, you know, there's, there's 35 million euros in damages every year. And the hunters are saying they're not going to be able to keep up because it's just, yeah. it's too big a price to pay. Um, and for the sanglier, uh, you know, they, they mostly lose their lives to hunters, but also to car collisions. Yeah, because they don't really have a natural predator here. No, wolves were eradicated here, yeah. like I think at the turn of the century, like in the early 1900s. Apparently, they're making a comeback, which might not be a terrible thing no, be a in terms thing. Of, of the sanglier population. But um, this brings me to the French phrase of the day. All about the pigs. It's all about the pigs. It's been a pig week. Okay. Okay. Um, I have so my tiny a, phrase yeah, in my hand. This is an expression more than a, a, oh. a, a, a dicton, Okay. Avoir un caractère de cochon. So does that have the character of a pig? Yep. And what does that mean? So <laughs> it, it means to be pig-headed. It means to have some of the negative qualities that are associated to pigs. Oh, yeah. But pigs are really intelligent. They get a bad rap. They, if you treat them nicely, they love to get hugged like a dog. If, if they're treated poorly, then they get nasty. They get they get mm-hmm. you know antisocial, like any any yeah. critter. So uh, you know, avoir un caractère de cochon means that you're you're mean, that you're bullheaded, that you're. But you have a soft spot. Uh, well, you don't know. It could mean that. It could mean all the things you just described. Well, I think that they're talking about the pigs that haven't been loved. Mm. Right. You don't know that. Well. It could be, like, because they're very resilient. They're very resilient. And and as you mentioned, they are uh, sensitive to uh, their environment. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what that means. You know, if if people are going to... No, caractère de cochon means you're a jerk. No, no, but it could mean I can be a jerk Uh if you're going to treat me like crap. Uh But I can also be nice if you treat me nice. See? Could mean that. Maybe I'm wrong. All right. Uh, Avoir un caractère de cochon. I yeah. got it. That's two in a row. I know. That's the most important part of that saying. I know. 
That's great. Right. Félicitations. So, one more time in French. Avoir un caractère de cochon. That is this week's French phrase of the day. All right. Uh, just moving quickly to this life expectancy thing, uh, because I just heard on the news in Canada that for the third straight year, uh, Canada has fallen in its average life expectancy. So that that's not good. Like that's three years. I know, I know. COVID. Okay, bad, bad. COVID. God, I'm so I'm so sick of COVID uh, taking responsibility for all these stats. But um, it's not necessarily the reason for Canada's uh, decline. Uh, but from 2019 to 2022, 2023, our life expectancy overall, males and females, went from 82.3 years to 81. Point three years. That's a whole year. That's I think I find this dramatic, and and mm-hmm. my home province of Saskatchewan has fallen the most over the past three years. It's the lowest level since 1999, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, you can attribute this to the number of people tricked into sticking their tongues onto outdoor tetherball poles <laughs> in February. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the reason. Um, there are probably some Happened really good reasons. I know. <laughs> but you're still alive. I know, but I got sucked into that. I got. I did get tricked into that. Oh, wow. When I was young. And there I was. It was like minus 20. And I got you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and my tongue is stuck to the pole. Oh. All the kids are pointing and laughing. This is before I got rolled in the mud. And... <laughs> and uh, they, you know, you could wait for somebody to come out with warm water, but I just ripped it off. <gasps> oh, I know. Ooh. I couldn't stand being made fun of, so Ooh. I just ripped it off. But no. So anyway, back to this. I know I'm. You're, you got me. But this is kind of interesting. More than twenty thousand Canadians died of COVID last year, the highest number since the pa- pandemic in 2020. Hmm. Um, but they're still saying that cancer, heart disease were the leading causes of death in Canada. Right. And in terms of like the world rankings, we dropped quite a bit here because of this last uh, year and going down again. Like we used to be around in, in around 20th in the world in that area. Mm-hmm. And after this year going down to that 81 mark, we're like 36, 37th in, in that area. You know, around where Taiwan and Qatar and New Caledonia and Chile are. But I got to say, we're still ahead of the United States. The United States is 47th in the world in terms of life expectancy. Yeah. I think the U.S. has a problem of the haves and the have-nots. And so, you know, you've got a large portion of the population that can't feed themselves properly or, or well um, which of education. Yeah, it, it contributes to, you know, poor health. And, and, you know, we saw that during COVID. The people who were dying in COVID in the U.S. were those that, you know, largely were not not healthy and, and how due many, to lifestyle. How many people die from guns in the States? It's nuts. Mm. It's, not, it's crazy. So I think you got a lot of that uh, contributing. But as we get to the best in the world, you know, of course, Monaco. 
Monaco's number oh. one. And it's number one because... Follow the money. Follow, that's exactly right. Monaco, the life expectancy is like 87 years. Wow. You know, Canada now 81, so Monaco's 87. Mm. Yeah, because it is. It's affluent. First of all, the Mediterranean diet comes into play there. Yeah. And, and just to your last point, education, yes. knowing and, and being able to afford to eat properly, that yes. comes into play. And then, of course, access to health care in Monaco when you have the money. Uh, but then, now, here, this is something that I find very interesting. Hong Kong and Macao, they're not technically countries. They are uh, special administrative regions of China. But they fare way better than China itself. Hmm. Hong Kong is number one after Monaco. And Macao is number two. And then Japan. And then it goes down the line. Switzerland, Singapore, Italy. You have South Korea, Spain. Malta, Australia, those are kind of the top France? 10. Where's France? Uh, France is, so then you got Sweden at 12, Norway at 13. France is 16th okay. on, on the list. All right. You know, right around where Israel and Guadalupe is and New Zealand. Hmm. And then Canada used to be at 19. But uh, yeah, so um, I don't know. This, this thing is changing. Just so that you know, though, if you were to take the world, so you're taking all of the underprivileged countries into, mm-hmm. into effect, the average goes from... Say 87 in mm. Monaco, the average in the world, life expectancy, birth, both sexes, 73. That's it. Mm. Uh, that surprises me. I, th- I find that uh, high, actually. Because, yep. you know, when you look at the world news, there are some countries that are in terrible circumstances, and you don't think that they would be able to make it to 73. Yeah. No. Well, it's, 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 it's getting better, obviously. When you take a look at the numbers, say, from 1950 to now, it, it's dramatic. Like, mm-hmm. it's a dramatic increase. But in Canada's case, it's actually going the other way over the last two or three years. So hmm. kind of uh, a little bit dire, something to ponder. Uh, and, I, and I do know. Yes, COVID has something to do with it. It always does. Um, coming up on, uh, I think, our first podcast of January, we are going to be hosting our 100th chapter. I can't even believe that. I know. It's uh, staggering, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we were thinking of, of like, what, could we, what, what could we do that would be fun and a little bit different? And interactive. And interactive. So we're playing with the idea, and I think we we think this is a, a, a good thing to do. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just have you ask us questions that you're curious about. Yeah. Whether it's about places that we've traveled, whether it's about us, whether it's about... A past episode. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we think we could have some fun with that. All you'd have to do, really, is, uh, you know... Uh, if you're friends and family, you you know, you have our contact information. Maybe you want to know something that we haven't uh, discussed. And if you're new to our podcast and you want to check our Facebook page out, at Jeff and Julie Move to France, um, get on that meta, meta suite. <laughs> so stupid. God, Facebook drives me crazy. But there are lots of ways for you to ask us questions on the Facebook page. And uh, that would be the best way to do it. And then we'll see. Like, we'll we'll see over the next five or six weeks. How that goes? Wait a minute. Five weeks. Yeah. Five weeks. Yeah. Next next week is chapter ninety five already. Oh, I know. I yeah. know. So let us know. Like, if there's something that you, you want to know about our experience in France, one of our episodes, anything, uh, we will try. Maybe you want us to research something. Uh, we'll put that in Julie's. No. Uh, <laughs> put that in. I thought this was going to be an easy one. 
<laughs> no such thing. But uh, we are into a Christmas season here, and specifically our Christmas markets start popping up now as of next week. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're kind of scattered all around the different communes. Um, but this weekend, we've got quite a few in our, our local area. So I think we're going to do a little a little Christmas market run. Yeah, because it's funny. Like, we did this last year. But it's just like chateaus. Everyone's different. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're obviously gonna go to completely different places than we went to last year, mm-hmm. and uh, we will report back to you next week. So uh, you can join us for the joys of the French Christmas markets. Chapter ninety five drops at a podcast location near you next Friday. Au revoir. À bientôt.